Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We need a little bit more imagination in the way in which we're interacting with Scripture. Um, and I think that that's actually where our experience of God can, can kind of take hold. So I think we've mainly been more concerned with getting our kids to believe the right things and getting them to behave the right way when I think that we're missing out on an opportunity to help them and show up in the world in this imaginative way with God, just trusting that as I interact with Scripture, that there is something new and fresh in there experientially for me. And all inside I pull apart the pieces that I All right, we're back. We are back. Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast in the dead of summer. It it's is, a little hot in here. It's hot. <laughs> <laughs> we basically record in a closet right now. For those of you that don't know, I'm I'm not worried about how I'm I'm worried about this summer. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a little humid right it's now. Extremely humid. Ugh. I kind of like it. It's okay. It's okay. I'm swimming a lot more than I usually do. I hate swimming. I get really bored really quick. I like the pool, man. I like jumping in and then getting out. Yeah, I like, I like being in the pool with my little kids. They're That's just, fun. Yeah. They're just, it's just so fun. So anyway, <laughs> happy summer. Yeah. Listeners, deconstructionists, friends. Um, we've got a really cool live treat. Yeah. yeah. Give you guys there. We had somebody local. We never get to do this. No, it's so fun when we get to, though. Pastor Jared Boyd. Pastor Jared Boyd. Doing some interesting, unique things. He's a really interesting guy. Yeah, real smart, real smart, smart as whip. He's a smart one. He is. Um, yeah, he's so he's got a he's got a couple books out. Um, his recent one is the reason that we had him on the podcast. And, yeah, um, it's it's a big topic uh, that has come up since uh, since we first started. Uh, one of the big questions we got when we when we still had people emailing us um, suggestions and questions and things like that was like, how do you how do you raise your kids um, within the faith? When oftentimes, you know, you, you, you don't necessarily agree with certain, um, I don't know, not necessarily disagree with, but there are stories that maybe we were raised on. Um, the one that always comes to mind is like Jonah and the whale. Like, was Jonah really swallowed by a whale? Yeah, man. You know, so it's like, I don't, so like, how do I teach that to my kids? Well, you know? if you were raised in fundamentalist literalism. Yeah. And that is 
that's the ABCs. That's the bones. That's the math. That's the, that's the everything. Yep. And then you find a new vibrant way of interacting with the divine spirituality, uh, your neighbor through a deconstructive process. Right. And you got little kids and you haven't figured out how to like, oh my gosh, like, wait a second. Yeah. So I don't track with a lot of that stuff in that way anymore. Right. I'm not sure I have any idea what I'm even supposed to, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Or, or the other flip side is like, I remember being a, a little kid and, uh, you know, having a very short attention span. And so like some of the stories in the Bible just, you know, like weren't maybe that super interesting to me as a little kid. And so I had a hard time focusing. So I'm not really like paying attention because like, you know, the tradition is you go into Sunday school, right? And they just read stories at you. And you memorize some Bible verses that you don't retain that long, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so like, what, I mean, what, what are we really getting out of this process? Number one. And number two, the other part of it is um, like, how do we maintain that balance that like Roar talks about where you provide a structure for right. your kids that they can kind of. Uh, box one. Yeah. Box one. Yeah. Order. Something that they can use as a step stool uh, or um, uh, like a platform yeah. to, to move out from eventually. And so how do you do that in a way that's uh, genuine and sincere, uh, but also not feeding them things that are like maybe, um, I don't know, might negatively impact them later on down the line. Totally. Like, I think, I think the temptation is because we all too often, no matter how hard you and I try to stop this, yeah. we all too often associate deconstruction as being a very negative thing. Right. Probably because a lot of times it happens around other negative life circumstances like losing friends or family or, you know, uh, some tragedy happening or, or things like that. So we immediately assume like, oh, deconstruction is like, you know, negative and bad. But like, honestly, like if you really think about like what has happened, you've probably become more honest. You've probably become more free. You've probably become more engaged. You've probably become more involved. You've probably become more widely read. You've probably become more inclusive. You've probably become more humble. Like it's actually a really good thing. Yeah. And I think that so many of us want to save our kids from having to go through a deconstruction because we see it as negative that we're like anxiety to the max. Like I don't want to do anything wrong. And so I think I'm so glad we had Jared on because really, even though his book is called imaginative prayer, a year long guide for your child's spiritual formation. I, I think in our conversation as everybody's about to hear what we really got out of this is a great, practical brass tacks conversation about why presenting spirituality is something more participatory, imaginative, contemplative, um, mystical, experiential to our kids instead of basically just laying the foundation for a doctrinalized way of seeing faith. Right is actually just really fun and helpful and low anxiety and it answers so many things. So, yeah, I mean, this just kind of was like, this guy's in our backyard and he's like a good dude. (laughs) He's got a sweet beard. He's got a great beard. And uh, what a kind fellow. He is. He's a sweetheart. He's a really kind fellow and and cares about all the right things. He's trying to revitalize the neighborhood that he's in uh, and just connected in it. What a cool little area though. Super cool area. Yeah. If you're from Columbus and you haven't checked out the area that's uh, um, really hopping now in Franklinton. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an area of town that's probably been in, in need of some love for a little while. We and have a good brewery. Yeah, Check. there's two now. Check. 
Brew Dog uh, from Scotland. They they planted a brewery right in there, and then uh, Land Grant, Land Grant, yeah, two yeah. really solid breweries. So, so anywho, um, so this is a fun interview. Yeah, and let's talk about our Patreon campaign. Yeah, you know we haven't in a little while, and I want to start by saying that um, I just am still overwhelmed every time I think about the fact that we have people willing to give us their hard-earned money to to make content and continue to have these conversations. Thank you. Yes. We, we don't we don't put any of this money ever in our pockets just so you guys know we're not just saying no. that. Anybody that knows us knows that. This literally does just sit in an account and wait to pay for things and provide opportunities for us to do other things so we're not like, "Oh my gosh, we'd love to do this, but yeah, we don't we can't afford that." So thank you guys. Yeah. Yeah, so one much. Of, one of the big things, just to give you guys a little teaser, uh, that that you guys um, helped helped uh, basically helped us uh, pay for is um, we're going to be we have a YouTube channel. Nobody knows this because there's really nothing on it. I forgot about it. We're busy people. Yeah, so we have a YouTube channel that we had to to create in order to put our video on for our Patreon campaign. Ironically, right, and we don't have anything on there. And so that might change. That might change. We'll let you guys know when. I'm trying to figure that out and where to go. But but that's a good example. Yes. Of what is now possible, because there are funds to create new content. <laughs> so yes. Patreon people, we, gosh man, we want to hug every single one of you guys. Whether it's a dollar, a hundred dollars, I think there's some crazy people that even give more than that. Uh, thank you so much. You guys are amazing. And if you want to participate in what we're doing in any kind of a financial way, just get on our Patreon. There's some cool gifts. John, John's going to mail you some swag. People yeah. seem to like the book club because we just pick out some books that have really impacted us, um, led us to some fresh new perspectives. And I mail it right to your doorstep. Right every to your doorstep. So, uh, so yeah, check that out. And uh, um, otherwise, uh, definitely support the musicians that we use on each episode. Um, it helps us to attract more musicians that will um, great, graciously let us use their their tunes. Yeah. And follow us on Spotify. We have a playlist on Spotify with really all the good, artists that we use. Really good playlist, John. So we update it. Thank you. We update it every time uh, we have an episode. So so check that out. It's the Deconstructionist uh, podcast playlist on Spotify. Yeah. Cool. So, many, so many cool things to do. So thank you, guys. Check out our Patreon on our great website made by Ryan Battles. Uh, www.thedeconstructions.com. And for now, let's roll tape on this fine gentleman. Here's a live interview about talking spirituality with kids in this day and age with our good friend, Jared, Jared freaking Boyd. All right, here we go on location, Columbus, Ohio. We never get to do these things live, man, so this <laughs> is so cool. We are the Deconstructionists. I'm Adam Narlock. And I'm John Williamson. And we're here with Jared freaking Boyd in the Idea Foundry. That's where we are right now. That's right, the Idea Foundry. What is the Idea Foundry? Uh, it's a co-working space down on the west side of Columbus. This um, is really cool. It's really sweet. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Shout so out to it's my like buddy. A, yeah. I don't know, like 20,000 square foot warehouse with people working in it. So it's really sweet. We've done so, so many episodes at this point, but it's so, we never get to do this live. 
No. So this is still like, it's <laughs> still weird. That's good. I never get to do this live either. So uh, <laughs> it's great. This is awesome. Well, it's yeah. awesome to have you, man. You're like a neighbor, friend of a friend, and now a friend. Yeah, it's and good to be here. Thanks. There's a lot of stuff we can talk about. Mm-hmm. So why don't we just start off by just tell people kind of who you are, the kind of work that you do, kind of how it's unique, maybe uh, some of your spiritual upbringing and... Anything else you want to throw in there? Yeah, so um, I am a pastor in the vineyard and uh, a spiritual director and a teacher. So I I teach in our uh, school of spiritual direction with an organization called Sustainable Faith. And then I, a couple years ago, founded a religious order in the vineyard called the Order of Sustainable Faith. So slowly rolling that out. Is that, is that news uh, to that, you? I mean, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so, and then in, 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 out of that, we have planted a church here on the west side of Columbus in Franklinton called Franklinton Abbey. And uh, I have four girls, married to one wife, and we've been married about 16 years. So it's full life. It's great. That's awesome. Um, so one of the big things, one of the, obviously the main reason we want to have you on is you've got a new book out, not super new at this point by the time this comes out, but um, one of the big questions we get that we've gotten for years and that we're still getting um, on this podcast is how do, you, how do you raise your kids in the church, especially if you have reached a point in your spiritual evolution where your faith has maybe evolved a little bit and, mm-hmm. and, and you're really digging into the metaphors and, and the symbolism that, that's contained within the Bible. So how do you, how do you teach your kids that sort of thing? And so you wrote this awesome book. It's called Imaginative Prayer, A Year-Long Guide for Your Child's Spiritual Formation. So how did this book come about? Because mm-hmm. I, 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 I love the little bit of the story, your personal story at the beginning here. Yeah, I mean, it really came out of asking that question that you're asking, is that um, I had a pretty radical kind of deconstruction period about 15 years ago. No kidding. I, I was on staff with the campus ministry. I had led a bunch of students down to... Southern Baptist Theological Institute or school for an apologetics conference. Oh, nice. And I lost my faith at the apologetics I conference. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I get that. So, that makes so much sense to me. So, um, you know, it was a long trek back and I was really grateful. I found a great church, uh, found a great pastor and read a ton of books. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is kind of where, you know, N.T. Wright and just him making sense of the story again, yeah. historically, philosophically, hermeneutically, really, it yeah. just saved my faith. Yeah. So I read those first three tomes of, uh, of his now five-volume work, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, and so that was like right before I had kids. And then what I found is that as my kids were growing up, I was kind of, I had that deconstruction story of my own in the background. I grew up in a fairly conservative, fundamentalist, evangelical um, persuasion kind of church. It was wonderful. I'm grateful for so many things. Um, And uh, it was really challenging to kind of put all of the pieces together in my adult life. So as I, as I started having kids, you know, what I began to wonder is, man, I'm not actually quite sure how to do this because I kept defaulting to, you know, getting them to memorize scripture or, reading the stories over and over again. Um, And then in particular, the thing that most kind of maybe cautioned me was that I was super focused on their behavior. Mm. 
um, because that's all that's what I knew. Yep. And you just defaulted back. That's right. So I began to kind of scratch my head a little bit and um, began meeting with a spiritual director and kind of the more contemplative stream began to open up for me. Mm. Um, but even then, you know, as a as a spiritual director, as a pastor, I still felt like I didn't have the tools to help translate this mm. for the little people in my life. So that's kind of the birth of the book. Um, for, for some people that are listening right now and some of these phrases, like um, just a few things that I'd love to get a little clarification on, like sure. spiritual director, like some people yeah. are going to be like, what is that? Yeah. And the fact that you, you're in an in, in evangelical church, right? Vineyard's evangelical-ish. Uh, maybe. Ish. We'll see. I'm trying to pull it. Maybe pull it out that's, of that category. That's actually an honest question right now. It is. Right. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, it's kind of an honest question to ask. When I, um, when I went through the Vineyard pastoral training, yeah. it was pretty much... It's got that flavor. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think we... That's what we all thought anyway. Yeah. But now, it's like, I don't know if I want to be associated with that. Yeah. I mean, I think that things even just in the past couple of years um, are shifting in the quote-unquote evangelical church. I mean, what does that term even mean anymore? Yeah, thank God. And so I think that, I mean, I, about four or five years ago, personally kind of stated in front of people, I'm no longer an evangelical. I'm no longer a Protestant. Yeah. I'm not Catholic. So I don't know what that makes me, but... I was going to say, because you've got kind of like a a mishmash of, of terms, and I know that's intentional. Yeah. And so I think that um, teasing a little bit of that out would, would whet a lot of our listeners' appetites as like far as, okay, so this is kind of a historically Protestant stream, but you're pulling in things like, you know, you're calling your church an abbey. You that's know, right. That harkens back to some, that's, that's intentional, I'm uh-huh. guessing. Spiritual direction, uh, in order, a spiritual order. Yeah. Um, contemplative. That's um, right. I love it. So you're, yeah. you're kind of grabbing from all this stuff and being really intentional. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, well, let me maybe start with your question on spiritual direction. Yeah. So spiritual direction is, um, so a spiritual director is someone just helps you pay attention to your life with God. Mm. And it's really a tradition that was carried within the Catholic Church, primarily um, nuns and monks and priests. And in the past 15 or 20 years, it's kind of spilled over into the Protestant world quite a bit. Thank goodness. And yeah, it's been really good. So... Probably 10 or 12 years ago, um, I started meeting with a spiritual director and, uh, you know, questions like, what are you, what are you praying about? What's your conversation with God like? How does God sound when you hear his voice? You know, these kind of experiential, reflective kinds of things. Um, So as a spiritual director, I sit with people once a month and I just ask them those kinds of questions and help them work through like their life with God. And so um, that is a pretty contemplative practice, is to really slow down and to think, what is my conversation with God about, and how is that transforming me? Mm. That's what a spiritual director does. And, you know, tying it back to, like, what John was getting you into here, a lot of this is coming down to how you relate to your kids. That's right. And... Yeah, what I mean, does that look like? In a lot of ways, I mean, this, I, I've been kind of on an exploration to try to reframe maybe the parent's role mm. as their, their child's first spiritual director. Wow. Um, I think that most parents tend to think that they can 
maybe pass the buck of the spiritual formation of their children onto the church. And I'm kind of wanting to hand it back to the hands of the parents. But in order to do that, we have to give parents tools. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was a pastor for like seven or eight years, and I still felt like I didn't have the tools. And so that's kind of what this whole project is about, is, is trying to help parents imagine how to ask their kids really great questions mm-hmm. and to journey alongside of their kids, not so much focused on getting them to believe the right things, though I think eventually belief is important. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't know that that's what we should be doing with our you know, 10, 11, 12-year-olds mm-hmm. so much. Why not? It's a great question. Um, they're too playful. <laughs> so, which is a good thing. I love that answer. I mean, in a sense of like, why ruin a good, playful that is thing? Such a great answer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> with, you know, doctrine. I mean, I think doctrine's <laughs> awesome. I know it sounds crazy. <laughs> but, Bravo. like, you know, one of my favorite. Um, you know, Walter Brueggemann moments, he's in this interview with Krista Tippett. I don't know yeah. if you ever listened to this oh, interview. Yeah. It's, I've listened to that thing so many times. So good. And he talks about how, how doctrine tends to kind of flatten out the images. Mm. And that if we really want to get a proper understanding and a view of God, we, we have to be able to be willing to sit with the poetry and the images and allow those to inform our conception of God. Mm. Um, so there's a couple of quotes throughout the book where um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of really leaning on this idea of imagination. Kids have no trouble using their imagination. None. Uh, adults, uh, somehow we think that we have needed to leave it behind. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that when we think about our life with God, we need a little bit more imagination in the way in which we're interacting with Scripture. Um, and I think that that's actually where our experience of God can can kind of take hold. Mm. So I think we've mainly been more concerned with getting our kids to believe the right things and getting them to behave the right way when I think that we're missing out on an opportunity to help them um, and show up in the world in this imaginative way with God, just trusting mm. that as I interact with Scripture, that there is something new and fresh in there experientially for me. Mm. And look, I didn't... I didn't invent imaginative prayer. Um, I first encountered it through uh, the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. I was wondering. And (laughs) I just had some profound experiences. Stuff's legit, man. It's unbelievable. (laughs) Just imagining that you're, you know, Bartimaeus, the the blind beggar on the side of the road, and um, trusting that, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a vineyard guy, so I'm, I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is engaged in the work of imagination. And I had amazing experiences imagining myself next to Jesus and with Jesus and talking to Jesus. And it was out of that um, that I began to wonder, like, could my kids do this? Mm. So, yeah, that's <laughs> kind of what, what, what birthed this thing. It's hard to breathe, I think my lungs are dying. But I can feel some peace behind a burning bowl. The flame goes out, divorced of all my trying. I miss the days when I wept with a yearning soul. Cause I've tried so hard. I, I, 
I like the fact, one of the things that I really pulled out, <clears throat> the introduction when you're giving more of kind of your backstory, um, you talk about your own childhood yeah. and, and can, kind of how um, your upbringing kind of impacted you. And one of the things I thought was really interesting because it made me think back to my, ch- my childhood was when you talk about the fact that um, there was this gap in between when you first kind of uh, came into uh, Christianity and, um, and, and when you um, went to your first worship service uh, years later. Yeah. And you asked the question, I have a lot of questions about the six years in between. That's right. And I started thinking back to my youth as well. And I remember the, the Bible stories of my childhood. And then I remember uh, kind of starting to ask the first like adult, you know, level questions, like more complex questions about um, scripture and the Bible and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, there's not a whole lot in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I wonder if that says more about, uh, speaks uh, more about the lack of resources that we have mm. for that, that period of time in between. So I'm just curious in terms of what were your conversations like when you started to sit down to write this book? And I know you attribute, um, you, you give some credit to, to Jeff Cannell, who I love in the back and yeah. kind of encouraging you to to write this and put this on paper. So when you sat down to think about how am I going to put something together, uh, create a resource that maybe doesn't exist yeah. currently, what... How did you come up with this structure? Because it's really um, uh, pretty pretty creative. Yeah, thank you. Um, so originally, I so the original kind of title for this was reimagining catechism, and um, you know I think rightfully so. The the, the good folks at IVP um, struck the word catechism from its title because who would buy such a book, right? Um, <laughs> I think it's very wise, grateful, um, and. I began to think, like, actually, I want to form the kids in our church. I want them to grow up in our faith tradition and come out and leave their home, like, with something. I don't want to not do anything. Right. But I don't want to continue to do what, you know, I thought I I could only do, you know, just the repeating of everything that had come before. And so... I actually remember meeting with, um, I just sat down with probably five or six kids in middle school at the time, and I just um, led them through an imaginative prayer that I had written, just one. And this one in particular instance was this kid, um, I kind of led him through this imaginative prayer where, um, you know, that story where, you know, these friends bust through the roof and they lower that guy down to to be with Jesus. Yeah. And so I had this little kid imagine he was that guy. And, you know, he's in his imagination. He, he comes down to the roof, and um, I asked him, how does that feel that everybody's looking at you right now? And he had this really honest moment. It's like, it's like 12 years old, and he says, I feel embarrassed. And I said, okay, now I want you to imagine that Jesus looks at you, and he begins to speak to you. And I kind of let that settle for a bit. And then I said, now, how do you, how do you feel? And he says, I don't feel embarrassed anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, look, I could not have imagined that he would have had this moment because I didn't actually know whether kids had the capacity to do this. Right. I was experimenting. And um, this kid really didn't like being in church for the most part. But I just asked him after that, like, what if we kept doing that on a Sunday? Like, would, would that be okay with you? He says, that sounds fun. So... Literally, it was that. And I just kept writing uh, specifically for the fourth to sixth grade classroom. 
And then I began to think, okay, if I'm going to structure this in a particular way, I need to, to think about this like a catechism. Um, and so I did a bunch of research. I mean, it took, this is about a three-year project. So, wow. Yeah. So is this, is this uh, the, the, the fifth grade boy you're talking about who, had, who happened to have ADHD as well? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, that's what was told to me. Yeah. That he had ADD um, so, or ADHD or one or the other. So That was really remarkable to me um, coming out of a home where um, I definitely had grew up with ADD. My wife has ADHD, mm-hmm. was medicated throughout. And so um, that, that like really spoke volumes to me because you know, for us, not just church, but anything where you have to sit down and focus for long periods of time was next to impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, but but uh, engaging in something that requires something of the person uh, you know, in, in this case, you know, using their imagination and becoming part of the story. Um, just, I mean, that, that would have been amazing to have around back in the day, but I can imagine for, for all kids, even kids who don't have, you know, attention deficit disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, what a, what a remarkable, uh, tool. I think it would have been amazing too. And I think I grew up in a similar situation that maybe you did. And when I think back to what if they would have done this for me when I was a kid, I'm I'm stopped because I can't imagine them doing this yeah. when I was a kid. And when I ask myself why that is, the answer I come up with, and, and maybe this is right, maybe it's wrong, I don't know, it's just what I've got, is the incessant and even hyper-focus on needing to learn what beliefs are, are the appropriate beliefs. And what we mean by that is how to basically say you know, what you're supposed to say. That's right. Because you know, kids don't even know what it means to believe. They just know what they're supposed to say. That's right. What's appropriate, what's not appropriate. You're basically teaching them the company line mm-hmm. and, and teaching them boundaries. And what you're also teaching them underneath all that boundaries is that there's an ocean of anxiety and despair if that stuff's not all in place. That's right. And the difference in what I hear you doing and why I couldn't imagine it is because what you're doing is very permissive. That's right. And allowing... And trusting, I, I see it as trusting two things. You're trusting the goodness of the kid. That's right. And, and the, just the person. I mean, let's, let's just be honest, the person. Yeah. And then trusting the goodness of the spirit, God. That's right. That sounds a little bit more like faith. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, it's, it's really, I mean, it's really scary. It's, um, well, yeah, it's kind of why I wanted to put it that way. Uh, it is. I mean, it's really scary. And I, you know, I had, I've had a number of moments um, as a dad. So my oldest is 14. Uh, so I have a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 7-year-old. All girls. Yikes. And uh, they're wonderful. Awesome. Uh, and yikes, totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, wonderful kids. But, um, you know, they, they all have their own unique kind of faith journeys. And um, uh, there's been a number of times, particularly with with one of my daughters. Um, like I, I've I've shared this story in other contexts, but occasionally I ask my kids, "Hey, are you are you asking God about anything? Are you talking to God about anything?" And about a year or so ago, one of my kids said, "Not really. Um, it doesn't really feel like God is there. Mm. It doesn't feel like I'm having a conversation. I don't really hear from God, and um, I don't understand what the point is." So really kind of poignant, right? Honest. Yeah. Legit. Honest. Now, now a former version of myself, like I would have, I think. Panic. Panic, right? Anxiety yeah. would have filled my heart. <laughs> like what kind of dad am I? But, but then I had this kind of moment. I think this is, I attribute this just to 
kind of my training in spiritual direction and, you know, as spiritual directors were trained to just be okay with the process that people are on. Yeah. And so as a dad, I kind of took a deep breath and I just kind of leaned in a little bit. I said, well, man, that sounds really hard. And you know what? That's actually been my experience too. Sometimes it's felt like that for me. And what I'm hoping to do is I'm, I'm you know, we're always taught, well, I, I've always been taught in the kind of the, the stream of the church, don't trust your experience. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Come on. Uh, I think that the Bible is the writings of people who are trying to make sense of their experience of God. And so if we teach our kids or our adults not to trust their experience, now you, you, have, to, you have to articulate your experience in community, and, you, and sometimes somebody is going to be like, well, actually, let me, let me give you a different perspective on your experience. But to teach kids in particular not to trust their own experience, I think, is kind of where we're, we're, we're really missing the mark. It's a hyper-anxiety control freak kind of thing that's going I'm really glad that Paul trusted his experience on the road to Damascus. Absolutely. I'm really glad that Peter trusted his experience when the sheet came down, and he was like, I think Gentiles are like, okay. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Like, come on, guys. Yeah. On. What, you're, just, you're just scared. Yeah. You're scared, which means you don't really trust. Yeah. Well, and I, I think I'm really curious about why we're afraid. I, I really am curious. I actually don't have the answer to that. Like, yeah. But my experience, even with this book, I've been surprised, actually, with how many folks have felt caution with the use of one's imagination in prayer. Oh, yeah. Now, look, you can look back, and you know, obviously we find it in Ignatius of Loyola, we find it in uh, Francis de Sales, who's a French mystic. Um, the use of the imagination is actually like theologically really important. Mm. And so I'm not quite sure where we, particularly in the Western church, have grown so suspicious yeah. of the imagination. Um, so I don't know. I mean, can I ask you guys, like, what, what do you think about that? You guys have... Talk to lots of people. I don't want to be the interviewer here, but uh, you guys have talked to a lot of people. Like, what else have you heard about this feature of oh, anxiety? So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so initially, and we talked about this before we turned the mics on, unfortunately, religion gets quickly tied to power. Mm. And nice, neatly packaged statements, passing themselves off as belief mm. is a very easy thing to manage and control and measure. Sure. Very easy. And if your idea of success, it all comes down to what is your idea of success? Mm. What is your idea of this is going well? And typically those things can come down to how many people are doing what I had imagined them to be doing. Mm. And it's very, very easy to measure. People's interior lives or their experience of God um, on a true experiential level, that's not easy to manage. Mm. That's not easy to measure. So it doesn't really get much attention because we don't really want transformation. We don't really want that. If we really wanted transformation, we we wouldn't be so worried about just teaching people to talk like parrots mm. and just regurgitate things over and over and over again. We'd be 
we'd be allowing for a little more risk and imagination and, and allowing whatever is actually in them to participate. Yeah. I can keep yeah. talking, so I'm going to stop now. Yeah, yeah I, I, I mean, the only thing I have to add to that is, is that um, when, you're, when you start to operate outside of dualism, you know, in, in the, the realm of ambiguity, you know, dualism sells books and it puts butts in seats and it, and it makes money. Oh, yeah. And feels money great. and empire often go hand in hand mm-hmm. and, and it's used to control people. And um, so once you start to operate outside of that, it's not a very profi- profitable industry uh, to be involved in. I think it's more fruitful. Um, you know, I, I think it's probably more in line with what our, the, the um, you know, the original Christian church, you know, engaged in. I think if you look back at, um, you know, the, the, uh, the Desert Fathers and even the uh, Jewish tradition of Midrash and, and things like that, I think that we've been doing it all along. I think we kind of lost our way somewhere along the, along the road to Western Christianity, probably. Enlightenment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There it is again. Yeah. Well, and I think that there's some features to that. This, the kind of, how do we pass this on? Yeah. Feature, right? right? And that's always, every generation is always asking that question. How do we pass this on? And um, we, keep, we keep kind of getting, so I know you guys love Richard Rohr. I'm a, I'm a Rohr fan at, and his kind of box framework is also really helpful here. Yeah. Secret must be out, John. Um, <laughs> that you guys are like Rory fan, fanboys. Is that's the totally. secret? Yeah. 100%. I love that guy. And, um, you know, his, I, I think part of the, the reason the first box exists is driven by the desire to reproduce this thing. Mm. That's re- yeah, that's great. Right? Yeah. It's, it's a great good desire. Yeah. And I'm just kind of wondering, um, I'm not trying to, to totally take away the first box. I think we actually need the structures and the constructs, totally. right? Absolutely. But can we, can we like tweak the first box in a way that almost precedes what needs to happen in the second and the third box? Mm. Maybe poke some holes in that box that allows the light from like a more uh, contemplative space to kind of shine into that first box space. I don't know. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally, dude. And I don't even think that you're necessarily tweaking the first box. Like, the first box is just always going to be whatever we sort of pass down and kids start with because it's always going to come across more concrete to kids. Mm. You are leading them. You are directing them. Sure. You are giving them places to go. You are helping their imagination. You are giving them structures but you're also starting to nurture something at the same time. That's right. So eventually they are going to have to probably deconstruct that a little bit mm-hmm. and make it their own. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing too. And then they'll hopefully get to the box of reorder, you know, eventually. But I don't, I don't necessarily think that you're doing anything drastic to that first box. I think, it's, I think it still fits in the first box. Yeah. Or it's, I always look, think of it as you build, you build off of that. So I always think of it more in terms of stairs. Mm. You know, you still you still need that first step to get up the rest of the stairs. You can't just jump halfway up. Yeah, you know? that's good. So, I absolutely think it's it's uh, it's a necessary first first place to be. Totally. Like and I I treasure my my youthful. Sure. Oh you know? yeah. Like, do I still believe that that you know Jonah lived inside a whale? I don't know. I I don't think I care anymore to debate that. <laughs> that's right. Honestly, maybe I don't yeah. know. Yeah. But you know, I've I've moved past that. But I needed that as a launching point into the rest of my journey, I think, mm. you know? Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah. So talk about like I, I see. I love this uh, the 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 uh, the first story that you tell, like when you started getting into how am I going to structure this book and and how's this going to look and everything. And you tell this awesome story about your daughter and the buckets of water. Mm, and yeah. I thought that was really cool because part of it is that you you mention that um, uh, once you kind of lay that foundation, you can you can call back to it again. That's right. Uh, and I thought that was really cool. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so uh, each imaginative prayer, again, in this kind of catechism kind of structure, uh, ends with um, like a, almost like a, a suitcase version of the prayer. So like a, like a statement. Um, and I think the one that you're referring to, um, I think the kind of suitcase version of that is, is that we love others with the love that God pours into our hearts, yeah, yeah. something like that. So the whole prayer is about this trying to get across um, to kids that you you only have limited resource and you need an unlimited resource in order to be able to love God, to love other people. So in this particular occasion, it was the, the week that we were working through this imaginative prayer, and I provide some, some questions in the book for parents to stay engaged with that concept, and then um, encourage parents to kind of understand that there's like a shortcut way of bringing about the memory of whatever happened while they were imagining the prayer. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And so in this particular occasion, I think my daughter was off to go play with a friend. Um, they had been experiencing some, some conflict. And I just offered the shortcut version of the imaginative prayer. And I said, what would it look like to take with you a bucket of water? Um, kind of symbolizing this idea that um, your bucket's filled up and that you have an opportunity to love this friend. And it just kind of stuck. Like, it brought her back to the memory of uh, doing an imaginative prayer on the love of God pouring and filling up her bucket, and then it allowed her to take that with her just out into the real world. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, it's kind of, it's got this kind of symbol and this symbolic way of, of, I hope, kind of sticking with kids. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, there's two things that made me, it made me think of. Number one, um, I went to school to be a teacher. And so, like, of course, we had to go through all these different techniques and things on how to, how to help uh, different types of students learn and, and retain information. And you know, so you ask for a receipt, you know, you buy back, you know, you, you, different ways, like creative ways to make sure that they are catching on to what you're... Did you get it? Did you get it? Yeah, yeah you know. <laughs> So I, I thought of that, and the second thing I thought too is um, one of our friends, um, the good doctor uh, Peter Rollins. <laughs> um, he, you know, he he does this event where he um, he calls it pints and parables, and so we've we've had the benefit of of playing a little bit, a little taste on our show before. But he talks about the importance of parables um, in in the sense that um, the power of a parable um, in trying to convey a deeper meaning, and it made me think of. Um, what you're doing here in the way that in, in the sense that you're engaging them, you're, they're taking part in, in the learning process as opposed to just feeding them information. That's right. Like, here's what you should, this is what you need to know. That's right. But, but they're, they're buying in just inherently by taking part in the process. And, and so um, I, I wonder um, if there's some sort of connection there between kind of the art of the parable and, and kind of what you're doing here. Totally where I was going to go. I love it. Love it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when, when um, I mean, the interesting thing about the imagination is that you're actually 
kind of, I mean, we could get into the kind of philosophical te- technical weeds here, but you're kind of, I'm okay with you're that. okay with yeah, that? Please do. You're kind of making a memory yeah. when you imagine something. Yes, you and, are. Um, and so when you create a shortcut to that memory, and that memory is a really significant memory, then it kind of still has legs, right? Mm-hmm. So if I, if, yep. if you and your wife like have a code word that brings you back to your wedding day, for example, right? That code word actually then is imbued with all kinds of meaning and emotion and, you know, or, or maybe when you drive by like the restaurant you proposed to, like that restaurant is a symbol of something more than whatever, the fried chicken that you ate that evening when you proposed. Is that how it happened for you, fried chicken? How did you know that? I don't know, man. Voice so to men. You're just nailing me right Voice to men playing in the background. I've been eating my mail. So vineyard. So you, you, so vineyard. Oh, man, that's funny. <laughs> so you drive by this restaurant, and then and you both look at each other, and that restaurant now has become a symbol for something far greater than the restaurant. And that's what happens when we use our imaginations as we interact with Scripture and the Holy Spirit comes in, and, and I really believe that God can show up there and begin to communicate fresh and new ways and things directly to people who had experience. Jared, hold on a second. <laughs> Are you saying oh, no. that if, if we allow language to be more than literal, that there might actually be some additional space for things to happen than things just being concrete and literal. Are you saying that we need to go beyond literalism? <laughs> I, I think I'm saying that the word of God is living and active. Booyah. <laughs> so <laughs> absolutely. I really believe and that. Maybe even language can be absolutely. living and active. Sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, you know, I think that... Um, like the words that Jesus speaks to people, they're not happenstance. Like they're, they're really important words. So, you know, when Jesus um, stands at the top of the temple steps and says, um, anyone who's thirsty, come to me and drink. Like he is, he is bringing to their mind this image of the river flowing out of the temple from Ezekiel chapter 37, I think it is. So he's using, he's using himself as like a symbol of something that happened a long time ago and he's saying, look, it's happening right now. And so I think we can get in on that a little bit in the same way with Scripture. Yeah. And that's kind of what Ignatius of Loyola uh, happened onto. And again, he didn't invent it. Um, he kind of stole it from a guy named Rudolf of Saxony, I think. But um, There you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, and so I think there's a rich tradition in the church for reading scripture in this particular way and experiencing scripture in this way. And I just think, I think kids are great at it. Probably better than we are. I love it that you're you're targeting kids here because <clears throat> we have so much that we need to learn from them in our overly technologically drenched um, post-enlightenment need to have everything nailed down and explained and understood. Uh, I look at my kids and I look at how they interact with reality, the same reality that I'm interacting with. Mm. 
and it's more to them than it is to me. Mm-hmm. And it brings back the words to me of like Abraham Joshua Heschel, who would say that, you know, to live in radical amazement is spirituality. Mm-hmm. It's this kind, this wonder, mm-hmm. this, it's expansive, it's participatory, it's invitational, it's, it's beckoning you in. It's not giving you a Scantron and a number two pencil and saying, get it right. That's right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's what I love about what you're doing. And I'm hoping you'll catch up adults in this because, you know, we, we can take a huge lesson from our kids in how they experience reality. And I think you're tapping into that. And I think it's mm. freaking great. Well, that, that, that piece there is actually kind of baked into the book. So this idea is that, um, like, I really believe that you cannot lead someone where you yourself have not gone. And so the whole framework of the book actually have some reflective uh, pieces in the book for parents. So as they're leading their kid through an imaginative prayer on the love of God, for example, I'm asking them to spend the week on reflecting on where they feel loved by God. Mm. And my hope is that as parents interact with these prayers for their kids, that they too become more deeply kind of engaged in, huh, I, I, wonder, I wonder when the last time I felt God's gaze on me in this loving way that I just tried to get my kid to experience. My hope is that the parent will have an experience, the child will have some sort of experience, and then they together will be able to, to work it out throughout the week. Hey, what do you think about that? Or You sneaky um, little pastor. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> you just Trojan horse. Like, that's pretty incredible. That is. You know, when you said something about um, memories requiring like imagination. Yeah. I mean, it's backed by science, man. I just read a book by Leonard Maud now um, called Subconscious. It's fantastic. Huh. You should totally read it. He's a physicist and wrote books with Stephen Hawking and things like that. And he wrote wow, sounds great. Fantastic book. Or is it called Subliminal? Subliminal. It's called Subliminal. Yeah, it's Subliminal. Yeah. It's about the power of your, your subconscious. Okay. And he talks about how when you actually look back at memories, and this is horrible because our whole justice system is, is based on this, um, <laughs> memories are usually imaginations or imaginings of what you think happened. That's right. You know what I mean? That's right. And so neurologically, even what you're saying, it makes a ton of sense. And then you factor in things like neoplasticity and how we rewire and, and are in control of how our brains are formed. You're not just forming, you know, spirituality. It's, it's real. Like you're probably creating real beautiful changes that are easy to access then for a long time That's and making right. these things become very real and very um, invitational and participatory. Yeah. I mean, you're again, hitting on something that um, was really informative to this book is a book by a guy named Kurt Thompson, uh, anatomy of the soul. He yeah. talks about this. He talks about the neurology of connection Yeah, and um, kind of the first formation concept and like how we attach to our parents and relationships. I gotta check that and out. it's so good. And, um, I think the more we can create tools and get things into parents' hands that can help them have these connective experiences with their kids um, and their spiritual life, that you're actually laying a ton of relational groundwork for a child and a parent. And so the kind of other sneaky feature here is I just want parents and kids to connect on a deeper level than our culture, I think, really allows for. So good, man. I, I just keep hearing this theme of 
like engagement and, mm-hmm. and not just on, on the, the side of the children, but like also on the side of, of the parents. And it makes me think of, of this quote that you have at the beginning of the book where you talk about, um, you say, I think somewhere along the way, someone would have heard me say out loud what I was thinking and feeling. Perhaps someone would have heard in my answers that my experience of God was filled with guilt and shame. And I think someone would have helped me see it differently. So I, I think there's, there's an element to this that obviously like, like you felt that way. And I think we wouldn't have a podcast if it wasn't for the fact that there are thousands of other people out there who, who've, you know, gone through a similar experience, feel a similar way. And so, um, yeah. So what, what do we do? Obviously you've been putting this into practice with, um, with your own kids and with, um, some of the, the kids that, that attend your church and stuff. So what are, what are some of the results that you're seeing? Like, what do you, what, what's your hope for this book? Oh man, I got a lot of hopes for, for this book. I mean, I hope this is kind of the beginning of, um, I really want parents to kind of come into a church environment and to think this is a place that is helping me do all the things in my life. But specifically, this is a place that's going to help me uh, participate in the spiritual formation of my kids. I just don't think it's on parents' radar to know that actually this is your job. This is your job. And as a, as a pastor, what my heart is for parents is like, I want to help you go deep in your life with God. I want to help you um, notice and nurture the work of God in your life. And as you grow in your ability to do that, then I also then want to help you figure out how to do that with your kids. And so it's not that I don't want to work with kids. I love with kids. I love kids. But, but I'm actually I'm more so interested in and helping parents feel empowered to do that work. Because mm. um, I think that they're really the most important people in their kid's life, in their formation. I have one more question. Just kind of like um, brass tacks. I'm trying to think of people that maybe were listening to this. And um, that first question that you asked, like we have so many people that are listening to this show that have gone through massive you know, deconstructions, just massive. And maybe... Um, it ended a lot more of their faith than it started yet. Maybe they're not in reconstruction and they've got kids or maybe they have developed a new, more complex contemplative spirituality, but they weren't raised that way. So they don't have the, the furniture in place in their minds to kind of start to pass some of these things off. So when it comes to people that have gone through an experience of, of losing faith or deconstructing or whatever, but they don't want to just ignore it completely. They, they know that they need to pay attention to something. And the, the question that just comes up all the time is, what do I do with my kids? Now, you've written a book on it. We've just spent an hour talking about it. But if you could just leave them with just a couple thoughts as a pastor, just those people in particular that are just struggling to deal with their kids after deconstruction, what are some things you would say to them? Oh, man, I think it kind of depends on where a particular adult is in their process. Sure. Because there's a place when, I mean, look, my deconstruction was pretty dark. I mean, I wept on my bed for like nine months um, as like a newly married dude. And it was hard. It was a hard couple years. And I can't imagine like sharing that experience with many people. And I couldn't imagine trying to share that experience with the kids that I would raise, right? Yeah. Um, thank God for me, it happened 
uh, before I had kids. But I know there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast that are probably in it. And there's this anxiety about how do I be present to the reality of my experience right now? That's right. And do something with my kids. That's it. Right? Yes. And I think that it kind of depends on where you are in the process because I don't think it's a great idea to take kids down the deconstruction hole with you. Right? <laughs> right? I don't actually think that's the most loving thing to do. I don't think so either. No. <laughs> so I think what I would say to parents is um, learn how to ask really great questions. Mm. Learn how to listen really, really well and give lots and lots of hugs when there's confusion. Because the reality is, is that's what you as a parent need, mm, right. <laughs> is you need someone that knows how to ask some really good questions, someone who can listen. Um, but ultimately, this is the challenge of deconstruction, I think. Um, and I think that I share some of that anxiety a little bit, because I still, I mean, I have a lot of unanswered questions still. It's not, I don't feel like I'm in a spot where I'm still in a phase of deconstruction. I feel completely in love with Jesus, completely willing to do anything in my life to follow the way of Jesus. But I still have a lot of questions. And so I think for me, um, giving to my kids what I do have, and then also creating space for them to also wonder about the things that don't quite make sense. I don't know if that's helpful, but... No, I think that's incredible. I would encourage parents, you know, if you're going through deconstruction... Um, find other outlets to, you know, figure that out. I, I don't think, you know, your 10 or 12-year-old is ready for some of the questions you're asking, you know. Cody, I want to talk to you about existential despair yeah, this morning. Right. I've, been reading, <laughs> I've been reading Sartre. and uh... <laughs> It's like, Dad, can I wait till my neocortex is, is uh, fully formed? I'm actually glad that? you said that, That's too, actually a great point. Yeah. It's a great point. We, yeah. we are trying to teach kids so many things as if they had fully formed prefrontal cortexes. That's right. And like we have all this science saying stop doing that. That's right. And our whole educational system is still doing that. Well, in some in some studies now show that are are arguing rather that that your brain isn't fully formed until you're into your early 20s. That's right. So Which is why you're not allowed now allowed to stay on your parents' insurance until you're 26. Exactly. Is that right? Pretty much. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> I know. That's amazing. But the thing that kind of caught me when you were answering that question that I just wanted to throw one more little thing in there is I think the neat thing about going through or having gone through a deconstruction. Oh, hello. Is that a train? It is. It is a train. Apparently we're by a train station. We're, I didn't we're know actually that. right next to a train track. <laughs> train track. Yeah. I'm uh, leaving that in. You there it is. To. Yeah. But... When, when you've gone through this or if you're going through this and you have kids, you don't have the luxury of just saying, whatever, because that's right. you know, there's this like built-in, I don't want to call it like accountability, that's such like a churchy word, but there's this like built-in sort of like, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do about this? It's like calling you towards it to pay attention to it. And for me, one of the first things that kind of jumped out at me is like, okay, there's a lot of stuff that I was taught growing up that I have a big problem with, that I am not sure what to do with, that I know I need to either figure out, toss, tweak something. Yeah. Uh, or, or come at it from a different direction or whatever. But there's a lot of stuff that I am still super down with. That's right. And it actually is like this great opportunity to come back and say like, okay, 
I don't know what I think about literal resurrection. I don't know what I think about miracles. I don't know what I think about like certain things that you don't even need to talk to kids about, things like sexual ethic or whatever. You just don't need to go there because you're figuring it out, whatever. Mm. But like grace, mm. the universe being something that is, you know, an endless flow of love, mm. you know, coming from triune God, that's relationship is important, people are important, forgiveness is important, justice is important. Like you got a lot of really solid footing to go on mm. that you can engage with your kids and not feel like you're completely giving up but also not feel like you're being untrue to where you're at either. Right. So it's like, I don't know, almost like just do something. Mm-hmm. Like it'll be okay. Like there's a lot to go. There's a lot of material. You can just go. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, unfortunately we are in, we're in a season where lots of people are wrestling through some of these questions. And I think what we're going to see is we're going to see churches becoming places where those people are able to do that. Think so too. That's it's kind of like what we are hoping to do with Franklinton Abbey and um, just some of the kind of more contemplative focus mm. is is to notice that um, maybe we don't have to have everything figured out all the time. Yeah, but we can create spaces of worship and prayer and community that. And then and then when you when you raise kids in that environment, then when they hit their 20s or their 30s and things feel like they're unraveling for them it doesn't feel so scary oh man right? that's what i'm hopeful for that's awesome man well let's 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 end on that because totally one of the things we really want to talk about is this really creative unique thing that you have going on in franklinton so for for those listening who are from the columbus area in ohio um Jared's doing this really cool thing and uh, so explain what you're attempting to do and why it's i mean it's very different than the prototypical church mm. Yeah, so uh, we're basically trying to create a contemplative space, um, a space of beauty, a space of worship, and it does look and feel pretty different. So, um, for example, we we begin each of our gathering times with about 10 or 12 minutes of silence. Whoa. And uh, that's exactly what most people say. That's like, awesome. So, <laughs> seriously, we're just going to sit here? Um so sometimes we lead people through uh, what's called a weekly examine, where we just like reflect on the week, and we really use the time to think back and to try to pay attention. What has God been up to in my life in the past seven days? And then to use our worship service as kind of a transitional moment, and then to begin to think, okay, what is he asking me to kind of lean into in the next seven days? So we sit in silence for 10 or 12 minutes, um, I love to preach, but I only do it once a month. In fact, we only have one sermon a month. The other Sundays, we have um, more of a Lectio Divina-based service. So um, trying to teach people, kind of similar to some of the imaginative prayer stuff, Lectio Divina is just a way of reading Scripture slowly, meditatively. Um, And then we do worship. Um, If you're familiar with the vineyard, we do vineyard worship. Um, and we make lots of time to, uh, sit quietly to try to hear from God. We, we believe in the gifts of the spirit. So we practice prophetic words and we pray for people. So that's kind of the structure. Um, that's great, man. but we, you know, man, this past Sunday we met for two hours and then afterwards people are still wanting to hang out. So it's very leisurely. It's very slow, a little on, on the quieter side. No, you know, no lights or fog machines and that kind of stuff, uh, but um, which is not everybody's flavor, and it's fine. But what we're finding is that 
as we kind of create this more leisurely contemplative environment, um, people are, are just seeing their life transformed. Mm -hmm. It's really sweet. It's like moving from fast food to slow, good cuisine. Yeah. Like the slow, I don't know if you've read slow church. I have. Yeah. Great book. It's a great book. Love those guys. Yeah. It's great. Reminds me of that. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, this is where like, um, I'm 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 kind of in love with Walter Brueggemann right now. Oh, duh. Uh, so you guys' love affair with Roar is like mine with Brueggemann. Oh no, but we're in love with Brueggemann. Are you? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Come on. So just his. Um, I don't know if you've read his book on Sabbath. Sabbath has resistance. Yes. That book is unbelievable. Pair it with Heschel's book on the Sabbath. Yes, so good. I, I've only like, read parts of that. You but. can just oh, <laughs> dude. <laughs> so if you can like try to bottle Sabbath as resistance, and just kind of all of the ways that Brueggemann is exhorting us to live kind of cross-cut to culture. Yes. That's what we're trying to do at the Abbey. Yeah. It's deliberate. Very deliberate. Yeah. Good for you, man. There's also a big uh, community um, aspect that you guys have, too. I remember the first time you and I sat down, we were kind of talking about, you were explaining, like, what you guys were up to. Um, because a lot of you get uh, a lot of the folks who helped plant the church actually moved into the neighborhood, but you, you had... You you articulated it way better than I'm trying to do right now, but you said there's a there was a very big focus on being active within the community beyond just the walls of the church and that sort of thing. Yeah, we're we're trying to do that. Um, I don't know how successful we are yet, um, but we're trying to partner with a lot of great work that's already happening here. I mean, there's church communities that have been doing work down here for sixty or seventy years, and so we're trying to partner with them. We just moved our space. Um, to St. John's Episcopal Church. Um, so we're excited to, they've just been so faithful for so many years. And so we're trying to imagine how do we just kind of join what's already happening here. Um, awesome, and the second thing that we're trying to do is a little outside the box is that we're trying to kind of get into the real estate development game because the, the kind of kingdom issue in a neighborhood like Franklinton, which is quickly gentrifying, mm-hmm. is kind of what we talked about before the mics came on, that whole issue of power. Mm-hmm. is that there's a lot of people with power coming in and a lot of people without power that are trying to make sense of all of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that the timing of our community is is pretty key. Mm-hmm. We're trying to be present to both sides of that conversation. Man, that's so. great. Good for you, dude. Yeah. Well, it's been awesome having you yeah, on. Yeah, it's so good to yeah. talk with you guys. What a finally. fun conversation. Yeah, it's good. Thanks for making this space Thank for us. Thank you so much. It's oh, super fun. Yeah. Thank you. I love live interviews. I know. Although I'm kind of curious how this one's going to sound because we were in a um, a really cool space uh, in the Franklinton area that we talked about in the intro. It's this like big creative building. It's really cool. But um, they have these Called like the, uh, the idea foundry. Yeah, and uh, so the room that we used was really cool. It was like a conference meeting room, but not probably uh, designed for recording uh, audio. A little bouncy in there. A little bouncy, <laughs> but you know what? That's okay. It's going to give uh, the experience yeah. of, of a live recording. Absolutely, it's going to sound like people were sitting in a conference room. Yeah, with me and you and Jared freaking Boyd. Yeah, and what I mean, dude. First of all, what a smart guy, what a sweet guy. Yeah. And what a guy that is 
trying to, some of my favorite words right now, some of the most spiritual words, like I've had to throw out so many spiritual words that I needed to start to reclaim and make some like new words that I think are very spiritual. Like traveling mercies. Exactly. <laughs> sweet fellowship. Yes. <laughs> Just want to love on you, Adam. Just some sweet, I have, I have a word for you, John. So we, uh, we, we joke lovingly. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if you can't joke about this stuff, man. Yeah. Life gets pretty boring. Yeah. But uh, one, two of my new favorite like, words that I think are intensely spiritual are intentional. Are you being intentional mm-hmm. and deliberate? Because both of them imply mindfulness, which to me is very spiritual. Yes. And it's like, are you actually paying attention to what's going on and trying to not just um, re-summarize some script that somebody else has already done, but intentionally and deliberately come up with some fresh ways of coming at things that you're paying attention to? And I see Jared Boyd as somebody that is trying to do that in all areas of his life. Yeah. Love that about him. And I love what he's doing because he's like, man, I'm a dad. I've got struggles. I'm a pastor. I read a lot of books. I've got some cool ideas. But instead of just like telling people, you know, what they should do based on this verse in the Bible and stuff like that, it's like, how can I take contemplative, experiential, mystical, beautiful, non-threatening, non-anxiety producing ways of encountering Christian spirituality and start to just introduce it to my kids in a way that's fun, that's interactive, yeah. that's participatory, that's permissive, that's, you know, big space for like just using your brain. Yeah. Just a lot of fun. I'm proud. I'm proud of this guy. And, and you could tell this is, this is something that could have only come from, I think, uh, somebody who is a parent, you know, like just the um, the approach that he took to trying to come up with a creative way to engage his kids in some of these like deeper theological concepts. It's like, how do you do that? Well, you know, anyone who's ever uh, been a parent and had little kids, you know, one of the things that kids always remember, you read them a really good story, you know, and, and you're reading, maybe reading together or whatever, they can always recall things from those stories. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because they're they're involved in the story, you know, and so um, I think one of the things that one of the themes I think that that runs throughout our podcast and what we try to do that I think jives really well with this idea of um, uh, engaging your kids um, in a real tangible way is the fact that like we we try to get people to engage uh, and become a part of of this mystery and 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 their faith, and that's exactly what Jared's trying to get uh, these kids to do and. And I love what he said about, you know, you can, you can call back to uh, some of these lessons, some of these prayers that, um, that you're doing with your kids. You know, like the example that he gives where he's talking to his daughter, she's going over um, to her friend's house and they had been having some conflict. And he talks about the fact that, you know, um, you know one of the, the, the girls says, some, says something mean about his daughter or something like that. And she was having a really hard time with it. And mm-hmm. he said, well, how, when you go over you know, how, how can you just love her better? And how can you fill your bucket? And, and it's, it's huge. And, and immediately she was like, she, she recalled that information. She's like, Oh yeah. And so, I mean, we, we do that so often with other things. Um, and it's just such a cool method of engaging your kids in a way that I think the story is going to come alive for them a lot, a lot better. It's going to be a lot more visceral and you know, they're, they're going to remember it. It's going to stick in their brains a little bit better than it would if you're just, you know, reading them stories. Love it. It's great. I really do. I love it. I love what this guy's doing, man. I just, I really do. I think allowing for imagination and playfulness and contemplation um, is something that we lost 
Oh, yeah. And, and shame on us. And again, I don't think he's reinventing the wheel. I think he's just going back into the tradition, being radical by driving towards the root, as our buddy Rob Bell would say, and, and, and bringing things back the, kind of like the way Jesus did it and like the prophets did it and like yeah. using a parable form of bringing these ideas to kids in ways that uh, you know, are really permissive and playful and imaginative and fun. And I just think it's great. And I, and I hope that if you're listening to this and you've had a conversation with a friend about deconstruction and kids, I think that this is a conversation that you should introduce them to and say, yeah. Hey, um, these two nut jobs on the deconstructionist just <laughs> interviewed this really cool dude. And, um, they've got some really interesting things to say about deconstructing with kids. And I think, uh, I think there's a lot here. And if you like this interview, then definitely pick up his book. It came out by, uh, InterVarsity Press and, uh, uh, another, another alumni of the deconstructionist podcast, uh, the old Greg Boyd. Yeah. Uh, highly endorses it as well. So there you go. If you don't believe us, believe Greg Boyd. That's right. And um, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. And I love doing these live. It was, yeah. And, uh, Hopefully we'll do more of those. It's good to be back. It is good to be back. Um, we got some fun things planned. We got some fun guests coming up. We and, do. Uh, we need a little break. <sighs> I'm still tired, man. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, this year is <laughs> kicking my rear end. But uh, I always love being with you. Yeah, man. And our listeners. Absolutely. This is a uh, sacred space, and I'm glad it's here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure who the band is this week, as Doesn't usual. Because it's going to be great. Check the show notes. It's going to be great. It's, it's gonna in be, there. It's going to be so great. <laughs> um, yeah, that's it. I love it. It's good to be back, guys. Thank you for listening. And for now, we are your hosts. I'm Adam Narlock. And I'm John Williamson. Grace and peace, everybody. Damn about my rest And I
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.